As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. And on today's episode, we are doing a belated Decision Day recap. We are doing an MLS playoff look ahead. And I'm going to guess there will be some trash talking along the way because predictions have come good or come bad in certain cases. Uh, here with me to talk it all out are Mr. David Goss. Hello, David. Oh, what a fine day to be together, Taylor. All Hello. together for the first time in a while. Were you not expecting me to come to you first? I feel like you had to unmute yourself really, really quickly. No, I'm just, I'm just preparing myself. <laughs> oh no! That's all. Oh no! <laughs> just make sure my notes are right. And Joe Lowry, how you doing today, my friend? Uh, I'm doing as good as someone can be when right before we go on, <laughs> right? I'm told by one of the co-hosts that they're coming for me right off the top of the show. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm on edge a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of dancing around waiting for this moment to come, going to dodge and weave a little bit. Um, but no, Taylor, I'm doing well. It's almost MLS playoff time. Taylor, Joe, this feels like it should be an MLS heavy show, right? Like decision uh, day, we're going into the playoffs. Yeah, I, I would, I would say yes. Okay. Now, now I'm concerned. Am well, I? About to I just tricked? want to make sure we have enough MLS experts on here because <laughs> I feel like oh, MLSsoccer.com no. prediction for 2023 regular season oh. on 12 different analysts. Joe Larry came 129 points away from being correct, second to last, just ahead of Bradley Wright Phillips, which Ooh. means you have the potential. To be a record goal scorer for the New York Red Bulls, but yes. not maybe a predictor of standings. Yeah, no, uh, I'm, you're, you're right to flame me. Absolutely, I'm right to be flamed on this list. I finished, what, 11th out of 12th? It's just not good enough, guys. It's not good enough. It's not. Uh, we're reflecting internally on some changes that need to be made. Uh, some, some laminators that may or may not need to be returned or given to folks from around the league. I'm ready for a lot of these teams to start coming after me and, and others that finish, you know, in my general stratosphere in the lower table, which is, again, where I am only above BWP. I'm tied with Melissa Ortiz and Sasha Kleschen. I'm not sure how that, like, means that I'm 11th <laughs> and not 9th. I don't know what happened there. Maybe wow. it's alphabetical. I think on the losing half of sides, when you're tied, you go to the bottom of the standings <laughs> instead of, like, tied for second. <laughs> It's not my best work. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, I'd like to blame the LA Galaxy, the Columbus crew and Sporting Kansas City for finishing not where I thought they would. And again, we're coming back stronger next season. 
So the problem is about coming after you is like outside of St. Louis and Houston, who can come after everyone, pretty much everyone had them bottom two in some order outside of two people. Now that I'm scanning over, had them bottom two outside of that. Who didn't wait? Who didn't? uh, Marcelo Balboa had Vancouver and St. Louis bottom two and Charlie Boehm had Minnesota and St. Louis bottom two. So everyone at St. Louis, Louis, though. Yeah. 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 No, no. Uh, I'm trying. Yeah. One person picked St. Louis 14th instead of 15th. Uh, I don't or know whatever if my the standings are. Season predictions are listed on there. I had St. Louis top of the yeah. Top no, of nice the work, Taylor. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice yeah, work, yeah, yeah. man. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for you. But the problem, Joe, is like <laughs> you, you heard teams- me struggle to remember what conference they're in for a moment there. <laughs> That's how good I am at my predictions. Go right. ahead. Go ahead. You had teams high that didn't finish high. Yeah. But you didn't really, outside of those two, have teams like that did much better that would come and dunk on you. Right. I I think New England's not going to dunk on you because they finished fifth instead of whatever you picked them as. Right. Although Red Bulls did it last year. So who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) I I think I had a lot of misses to the extremes. Right. I think actually if you went back through and I haven't done this yet and I'm probably not going to because I don't know how to find these other than clicking on each individual. I'm staring at it right now. Are you are you is there a master spreadsheet? Yeah, I can send it to you. Okay, please send it to me because my theory and I could be wrong because, again, I did really bad on this. My theory (laughs) is that I was okay in the middle and way off on the top and the bottom in some of these different uh, some of these different examples. So I don't know. Maybe yeah. that holds up. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not sure. You were okay in the wrong direction though. Of like you had Nashville behind Toronto and Orlando. Where if you had had Nashville, like you know, well, sure. I guess actually you finished Nashville kind of close. You had LAFC, LA Galaxy, SKC, Austin, and Dallas in order in the West. It's just Conference. not good enough, guys. No. It's just it's. Just, I got bullied by Austin and I got scared. That's what happened and on that one. I legit thought the Galaxy and SKC were going to be good. No, I don't have I, any excuses for that. Yeah, we we talked yeah. about that in great detail. <laughs> Also, RIP to Douglas Costa's MLS career, which Joe had pretty much banked his entire reputation on. Um, Joe is you also had NYCFC third in the East. I I I am totally wrong about that. I still thought NYCFC were going to make the playoffs until like two weeks ago. I kind of still don't understand how they went about the season so wrong. I I don't really have any regret about picking them third. I'll be totally honest with you. Goss, when he says, I'm going to come for you in the beginning, yeah. was was not joking. I've no. now learned. Goss, where were you on this rankings list? So then? I finished fifth, which it's not bad. obviously you did fine. The, the board doesn't think is good enough. So we expect more next year. But we believe that we are on the right path. I finished on 105 points. So I finished outside the sub 100 cat, uh, group, which was Andrew Wiebe, who finished first. There are points. Feels like what? So, there so the, way this? Is, the way this is constructed is Goss and I and a bunch of other folks uh-huh. are asked to do predictions of where right. each team will finish before the season starts, before Which is the, the first transfer window is done, year. before the second yeah. transfer window is done, before any of the season has actually been played. We're, we're asked to make these it. predictions. Mm-hmm. Excuses. Yep. I'm glad you picked up on that because that absolutely <laughs> was the intent. And and I, I would assume that this has been calculated based off of how many spots our predictions are wrong in the standing. So if yes. I predict Toronto first in the East and they finish last, that would be what? 14 points or whatever. Yeah. And you don't okay. want points a la golf. That's how this so, is calculated. So we, uh, to be clear, actually, I finished in fourth because I finished tied with J. Sam Jones. I finished ninth. But my letters are before his, so I don't know why I'm on this list behind him. That feels offensive. I just said that. Um, But Daniel Slayton got 95. Matt Doyle just snuck under at 99, and then I finished behind him. So Um, it's fair to say that Goss knows more than you, or Doyle knows more than you, Goss. Um, Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) This isn't alphabetical, so it's hard to tell. So Doyle is smarter than David, got oh, I finished four points ahead of down. Tom, so that's, uh, that's for, well played. Joe, for you, like 
I know how I am with things that do not need to be competitive and I somehow sure. make them competitive. My fantasy football team annoys me way more than Six it should. So too does my dumb fantasy soccer team with this type of thing. Like there's nothing you can really do. You're kind of riding your, your feelings about different teams based on your research. I know you do your research. This sure. isn't just you like throwing out numbers, but does it bother you? Are you like, do you vow to do better next year or is it just sort of a crapshoot no matter what? I, I definitely do not vow to do better next year. I would like mm-hmm. to do better because as you said, I, I genuinely put a lot of time into preparing for the MLS season and I know all these folks do, right? But I, I'd like to think that I know a thing or two about this league. This list may or may not agree well. with that idea. So I, I don't have any, like, I don't look at this and think, oh man, this sucks. Just because I know that I, I actually tried and put effort into this and sometimes MLS is unpredictable and sometimes... Oftentimes, I'm just straight up wrong, and I'm pretty sure every other person on this list would give you a pretty similar answer. So I would I would say just the odds are in my favor to do a bit better next year, at least in terms of the standings. But um, no, this this one won't really stick with me for a long time. How much trash talk has there been uh, over on the extra time side of things, Gus? I think Weeby's too tired to really let it uh-huh. rip, and Doyle was out on Monday, so... Not as much. Now, the trash talk came in that this person who did this for us, uh, George Tabone, then listed the fact that extra time versus MLS 360 was Mm -hmm. a bit of a mismatch. Huge. Uh, Yeah. So Tom finished last in extra time on 109 and Kaylin Kyle finished first on MLS 360 at 123. And where was Joe? Uh, Joe Joe was sandwiched uh right in the middle alongside Sasha Kleschen ahead of Bradley Wright Phillips. Just where I want to be. You could be a host of MLS three. Some some would say I have some Florian Velo qualities. I don't know who all would say that, but I feel like that's that's kind of the the brand that I'm. I'm just trying to get Goss back on my good side. Right before, don't try to do that. Even before, even before Goss is like, "Hey, I'm going to come for you." Like 30 seconds into the show, get ready. We were making plans to hang out. So you know what? There's no lost love. Goss and I are still pals. Um, even though I will do literally anything to finish above. Okay, the next if season. you want to do anything, this is the one thing I want you to do. Okay. Next year, when we put in our predictions, I want you to take a screenshot of every roster so that at the end of the year, when people try and dunk on us, I have, because I always say I'll do it and I never do it. We're to be like, oh, I was wrong, but look at the team that I picked based off of and the team that actually played this season. I feel like you guys BWP should matter, have to right? do that. I feel you like BWP finished last. Matters. He's the guy who has to do the screenshot. And yes, um, Taylor, Taylor, that's where you're wrong is that it actually nothing matters a lot. else in the world <laughs> matters besides uh-huh. this. Look, all I know is that pro-rail truthers out there are already messaging, messaging me that Joe, finishing 11th out of 12th, should be relegated. But since there is no pro-rail in the prediction system, Joe gets to stay up. And I think that we don't have the competition that we need to really challenge the people in the top spots unless we get the system changed. I just learned this in prepping for a listener questions episode that I believe will come out tomorrow. I, I did not realize that Liga changed the number of teams in their league from last year to this year. They are going from 20 teams last year to 18 teams this year. They relegated four teams and only promoted two to drop that. I had never heard of that before. This was complete news to me. All that to say, I am very, very happy that um, we are not relegating four people. And if we're going to relegate just one, then like make it BWP. Thank you. Nice. That feels like uh, when the Raiders moved from Oakland to Los Angeles and then back to Oakland. And the basketball joke is no one in Los Angeles seemed to notice. It feels like no one in League <laughs> maybe noticed that they had uh, downsized that way. 
If MLS were to downsize, I'm sure we would discuss it, but we're not discussing that. I guess we are sort of because playoffs means we're getting rid of some teams when it comes to games being played. Uh, but we've had decision day. We have our playoff teams. Uh, gentlemen, how did you both spend your decision day? I'm assuming it's like Christmas morning for you all or, or like a very important holiday. You all wake up early. Do you get everything ready to go? Are you watching all the games or do you sort of check in after the fact? Yeah, so this this was different for me. Maybe not quite you know Christmas morning, but... This was new for me because I watched MLS 360 for the longest I've watched it all year. And I've talked about this before. It's not because I don't think 360 is a good idea for a show. I think it very much is. And I think it's it's a pretty good show as it is. But it doesn't really help me dive into teams in any level of depth. So I don't typically go to it on a Saturday or on a Sunday. I did, though, this weekend on Decision Day because none of the teams that really mattered for Decision Day are very good. So I didn't really care, I'll be honest with you, about diving all the way into, you know, how is Minnesota United tactically setting up against Sporting Kansas City? That has some relevance with SKC making the playoffs, but not nearly as much as it would, say, at the start of a year when I'm trying to get a grasp on every team or trying to check in in the midseason or towards, you know, even before decision day. So I went the 360 route and had a lot of fun trying to keep up with everything that was happening. The Western Conference stuff was wild towards the end. FC Dallas put on a show. So I I watched 360 and enjoyed getting to kind of mainline a bunch of games or at least chunks of them all at the same time. Yeah, it was the same. It's it's the one. I mean, it's what it's built for, right? It's I love the like March Madness of a ton of content all over the place rather than like Joe talked about zeroing in and dialing on like one thing. I enjoy that aspect of it every once in a while. And so decision day is the perfect day. We got lucky, I think, some years. It's like there's one spot up for grabs, and that team that can jump in goes down to zero in 10 minutes. But we had three spots up for grabs in the West, two in the East, plus you had standings movement, a little supporter shield history potentially as well. So there was a lot going on. I was in New York, obviously, so I was around a bunch of Red Bull season ticket holders. So that was funny to watch over the last 20 minutes to like experience it through them because I don't feel that way about any of it. Um, and I think that's kind of what you want on that final day. And then on the Western Conference, sort of just waiting. I kind of was waiting for the Portland Timbers to wake up at some point and like shift the whole thing. And then you get into the second half of the 50th minute. You're like, oh, this is going to hold. It's like it can Austin score. Otherwise, the playoffs are set. And that was, I think, a little bit surprising to me. But there was still a bunch of good stuff going on. And it is like the best day to just be all over the map. I did very much enjoy uh, the comments to the athletic write-up of uh, Decision Day where we had, I think, a Portland fan saying, when I pass away, I want uh, six Portland players to be the Paul Bears for me so that they let me down one more time. Uh, that, 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 felt, that felt like a lovely way to start this conversation with what was on the line and who performed and who didn't. Joe, for you, what was the most memorable moment of Decision Day? What's the, the one that will maybe stand out a bit a couple months from now? First of all, that's awesome. Uh, second of all, I am genuinely not sure that any of this is going to stand out a couple of months yeah. from now. These are are bad teams, really, in the grand scheme of things. And I'm not trying to poo-poo the playoff hopes, because I do think a couple of these Have you teams, learned nothing, Joe? You know that now that you said that Charlotte's going to win MLS Cup, and you're going to have to to hear Goss talk about it again. For Ryan, Taylor, I'll do it. Oh, for boy. Ryan, I'll take that hit. You're welcome, Let's make Ryan sure Taylor. that doesn't happen. If that happens, I'm on vacation for a month, if Ryan Bailey gets to celebrate Charlotte winning something. Yeah, if that happens, I'll do something far more absurd than that and pay a lot of money. It's, it's not going to happen, Perfect. right? These teams aren't very good, even though I think SKC and the Red Bulls both have a shot because the margins are really, really thin. They're even thinner in the playoffs, so they're less thin in the first round than in years past. 
because of those best of three series. But the moment that is going to stand out to me and that, that I'm still thinking about a little bit is that John Tolkien penalty. So Anibal Godoy brings down the Red Bulls in the box. The Red Bulls get a penalty late, late, late in the second half against Nashville. The Red Bulls needed a win and they needed some help to get into the playoffs, by the way. They get the win off of a John Tolkien penalty that we talked about towards the end of weekend review yesterday. And sort of while this is happening, over in the Columbus Crew CF Montreal game, Montreal also were in contention for these playoff spots. The eight and nine were both open in the East. Montreal are watching on a screen on the bench. And as soon as that penalty hits the back of the net, they know that they're done. That moment where, you know, it has implications for other teams across the league. It's getting you above the line. That is is kind of the magic of decision day, which despite me kind of roasting these teams and saying they're not very good because they're not really when you look at some of the records. I do genuinely enjoy decision day because there is something on the line, regardless of of how important you think that thing is. There is something on the line and you can see that it does matter to the uh, the players of making it one rung further in the season. Gus, for you, was there a favorite moment? Uh, That's going to be the one that stands out because that's what it's built for. And, um, you know, you add in the fact that it's a homegrown and like a guy who I think has a ton of potential in the future and bleeds New Jersey in every single aspect of his life, I thought, and finds the three Red Bull fans in all of Nashville to celebrate with afterwards. And then you yeah. add in the Montreal side of like their game was already <laughs> over. So they're watching. I would just sprinkle in for you, Taylor. Obviously, this one wasn't as movement, but the fact that coming into decision day, DC mm-hmm. was the ninth team in the playoffs, but Loved had it. already been eliminated because they were it. on a bye. Yeah. And they had been out for three weeks, but they had been eliminated as a team that was above the line was always super entertaining. Um, and then I would say in terms of watching and the games going on, I think SKC just like waking up and being themselves, being entertaining, that building jumps. I think it's when you talk about MLS and history and sort of what goes on, I think SKC becoming the team they are in that stadium is one of the things that spurred the growth of the league. And so to see it sort of come back alive just for the last week and potentially now they host a wild card. If they win, they would host St. Louis for the second game of that series. Like I I thought that was a big moment um, of the weekend. And it was one of the rare ones where a team that had opportunity took advantage. I think there's a lot of like teams letting it go and teams falling apart and SKC jumped out immediately and was just all over Minnesota knowing exactly what was at stake. Goss said two things there that I want to get some clarification on. But first, we're going to take a quick break. Then we'll come back to me grilling David Goss. Back soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Well, luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
Welcome back. We are talking about MLS Decision Day and looking ahead to the playoffs. Uh, Goss, two things you said before we took that break. The first uh, that is that uh, SKC, if they win their game, will then host the second game in the series yeah. against uh, St. Louis. Let's talk about that, because I think if people have maybe been tuned out or not, sort of switched on to MLS and they're coming in for the playoffs, they might be a little bit confused because we have two play-in games. Then we have the next round in which we've got Three games or best or a best of three series. How are you feeling about that situation? I won't. I wouldn't say I love the format mm-hmm. of the playoffs overall. Um, but I, I think Joe said it already. I do actually think it favors the better teams because there's more of a margin for error, and I actually think it favors better soccer because, like, the story has always been just kill the game, play for PKs in a single elimination game, especially if you're on the road. And I've said this a lot. I think like a team like Columbus is going to benefit from the format because they're going to get playoff experience and there's room for error over potentially three games before they get to a single elimination game. And I think that for a team that's going to open up and try and play and and has a, a distinct style that's a little bit more carefree, I think that helps versus teams we've seen in the past that sort of get smacked in the mouth with like what playoff soccer is. And all of a sudden they're going home after a nine week layoff from the international break. One came into the postseason, So I think we're going to see some entertaining stuff. I think it's going to be interesting, but like all stuff we have like leagues cup this year, like I don't think the teams totally understand what it looks like Hmm. until you've done it once. But so, so is the idea then that we've got the wild card? So we've got the Red Bulls versus Charlotte. That's the play-in game in the East. We've got Sporting KC versus San Jose single in the West. That would be single elim- elimination. Then in round one, which is confusing, uh, that's the best of three. So the idea there would be that that allows maybe the top-seeded teams to have a better chance of getting to, say, the conference semifinals, where it then becomes single elimination the rest of the way? That is how it works. The only other thing I'll add in that I do like about this is that there's no extra time in the wildcard games or in that first round. So all of those best-of-three series just go straight to penalties if a game is tied. So there'll be a winner in every game. Let's say it's Columbus-Atlanta in that first game in Columbus. It's tied 2-2 at the end of regulation. They're going to penalty kicks. Whoever wins in penalty kicks gets that win. You go into game two, you repeat the cycle. The first team to two wins, wins the series. I love that because we don't need an extra 30 minutes on a series in the first round of the playoffs when there's 16 teams already in that space. So that I do appreciate. Um, the, The other thing here, the biggest thing, let's not get it twisted, the reason why we're seeing so many of these games is because Apple wanted more playoff games, right? It's to give MLS a larger inventory of games that quote unquote matter, right? And, and these games do matter, right? MLS Cup is the biggest trophy in Major League Soccer. Whether I agree with that or not on merit is a different story, but it is the biggest trophy in this league. Having more games that build to that is appealing, obviously, to a new broadcast partner. Let me throw one thing in as well, which is with the PKs with wins, aggregate is not a thing. So the amount of goals you win by, where you score them doesn't matter because you just have to get the result in the games. Um, Where I've always been of the belief that Liga MX has the right system, which is a tie just should go to the higher seed. But short of that, I think away goals and like how much did you win by game one and it's only halftime, all of that stuff. I'm interested to see how the playoffs look without that, but in multiple games. So I think it could be fun. Um I think we're going to do some VSPs later. I'm picking some series that I think go to three penalty kick shootouts Ooh. because I think there are teams that are going to play for it, unfortunately. But on the other side, I think there's going to be some really fun 
matches. And I think this is where you start to get like rivalry, right? Something happens in game two. Now you're in game three. There's already a little bit of angst. There's anger. The home fans for those team have already seen that away team now a a week ahead and they already dislike these characters there. You can start to bring elements into it. So I think a lot of that will be fun. All right. So you all are are more in favor of playoff experimentation then? Mm. Is that what I'm hearing? If it was my choice, there would be 175 playoff games. It would start in March. It would Uh end in December. And then you would start the regular season in January. Hmm. Joe loves both of these things. Um, Yeah, I don't I don't like the current MLS playoff format. We'll talk about this later in the week, too. I think there are too many teams that make the playoffs. It completely devalues doesn't completely. It largely devalues the regular season, which is the largest offering that Major League Soccer has. And they've chosen to to spurn it in favor of these other things. So I, I don't like that this many teams make the playoffs. I don't like that, you know, we get to count the Red Bulls finishing outside of the top seven and finishing as a wild card as a continuation of their playoff streak. I don't like any of that stuff. I will admit, in spite of all that, I am like my my stomach is genuinely fluttering because I am stoked for these playoff games. Like I am really, really excited for the playoffs to start because it's fun. It's a fun product. It's a fun time of year to be someone that pays attention to Major League Soccer. And it sort of is the reward for for making it through large chunks of the regular season. That being said, I, I don't really think the format is great. Joe, can I just ask real quick, how many teams in each conference make the playoffs? Nine teams in each conference. Are you not in favor of ninth place being rewarded in Mm. certain standings in certain competitions? (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you a massive fan of ninth place? I want the audience to know I'm wearing a hat and I'm tipping it to David right now because that was absolutely beautiful. Well played. All right, but here is my genuine question. Like, I I saw Peter Vermees after uh, Sporting KC finish eighth, get to host the play-in game, being... In my opinion, very self-congratulatory and very like for all of you who thought we weren't going to be here for all you doubters. And it was like, dude, you didn't win 10 games in a row. Like people were like furious. And and this is how like this is your victory lap. It, It just felt like a little humility is the wrong word. But I also don't think like teams celebrating this as though like we did it. We made the bottom tier of the playoffs. It It just feels maybe. I don't know, just like a victory lap that isn't entirely earned, tone at deaf. least at it, feel, it feels tone yeah, deaf. Exactly, to me in a lot of exactly. Ways. So you guys are right, except the problem is, I think Joe's going to talk about this. There's like a decent chance that SKC makes an MLS Cup right. run. Right. So on the one hand, you're right. Today, Peter Vermees should not be celebrating that his team limped across eighth place. But on the other hand, he's a week and a half away from being in a conference semifinals. Right. But that's just the reality True. of how MLS is structured, right? I, I yeah. think. SKC and the Red Bulls are the two teams. Again, I think I already said this. I've been thinking it all week. Uh, yeah. They're the teams that I think are going to win the wildcard games. And I would not be shocked at all if they both get at least one win in the first round series. And even in SKC's case, if they advance to the next round, I would not be surprised if that happened right now. I'll plant my flag in the ground. Like, I, I don't think that would be a massive shock because of how MLS is structured. Like you go through and with the designated player rule, SKC have three DPs. They're very good players. They were injured to start the season. They're injured for large stretches of the season. Now those players are back and shock of all shocks, they're good again. They're winning games. They're getting results. They're not a perfect team. Their center backs are slow and both over 30 years old. They have flaws, but every team in Major League Soccer has flaws. So if we're going to say like, oh, you know, actually we should be excited about SKC making the playoffs or we should be excited about the Red Bull sneaking in on decision day. That is only, it's not a statement about those teams. It's a statement about how MLS is structured. And if you are okay 
with how MLS is structured, then fine. The be excited about yeah. making the playoffs and be excited about that run to reward your fans for sitting through a season full of mediocre soccer. That's fine. Like, if that's how you want to view it, great. As someone sitting in this chair right now talking on this show that thinks MLS needs to evolve, needs to change, needs to take advantage of this current opportunity, I would also say, yeah, maybe it's time to stop rewarding mediocrity too. Yeah, I think, Joe, you've covered it there, but that's the thing I keep going back to. And I think the thing that we end up going back to whenever we have lengthier, free-flowing conversations about Major League Soccer is just the idea of like how important is the regular season? And if, and if SKC were to make a deep run, let's say they win MLS Cup, do we ever need to pay attention to the regular season again? Like, like I really would struggle with that. Next yeah. year when we're, start, when we're trying to do our previews and get hype for the start of the season, does anything matter if you can have as poor of a start as they did and then make a deep run? I mean, short of making the playoffs like four teams from each conference it, it it does sort of feel like that expanded playoff format fundamentally does just completely devalue the regular season it, it pulls off or removes a lot of I guess the drama or the intrigue because it feels less and less like teams have to evolve and figure things out and hit their form at the right moment and it doesn't really reward teams that come into the season ready to play so maybe that's what we've learned is just that uh treat the regular season as preseason and then you won't be disappointed in the playoffs there we go i solved it so i don't totally disagree with you except we came into decision day with five interim managers because there were one club eliminated Mm -hmm. and four clubs trying to make the playoffs that didn't seem possible NYCFC had their best defensive season ever, but didn't put their roster together until midway through the season and didn't have enough games to get into the postseason. You look at the teams that are, what, five of the top six spending teams. They didn't make the playoffs. So I agree with everything you said. And yet we have these teams that can't figure out how to get in. And so while we say it devalues, it doesn't matter. Then you have clubs that cannot, after $25 million of spending, and a full season, figure out how to get into the postseason. I will say, I think SKC, again, as Joe sort of laid out, is a unique situation. They are, yeah. Um, And it will be funny because if they do make it a run, we will talk about how how great they were that they kept their, they stuck to their guns. When it did go poorly to say, no, when Mm Polito gets back, when Russell's healthy, when, you know, Eric Tommy's playing with Gotti Kinda, we're going to be fine. Which wasn't a guarantee, right? Minnesota fired their coach three weeks ago to try and make it into the playoffs in the last two games. So I agree with everything Mm -hmm. you guys said. If it was me, less of a percentage of the teams would make it. The hope will be an expansion. They don't expand the playoffs, but that's not ever been the case. So I will probably be wrong about that. But there is still an element of pressure, clearly, and mistake that can be made to not make it into the postseason. That's fair. I think, honestly, I hear you. I think I am surprisingly soured on Peter Vermees, a, a manager that I really, really like, and I and I enjoyed Sporting KC. I enjoyed going to a game there this season. But that those remarks did feel very tone-deaf to me. That, like, you can, you can feel, as a manager, like, look, we, we didn't have our three DPs to start the season. And in that moment, I think it's fair. It's to say, like, look, I know the results aren't good. They're going to improve. You have to have faith. And then, like, celebrate that at the end of the season. But those comments from him, to me, felt like, I can't believe you all were like un- unjustly criticizing this team and like for the haters who weren't with us, like fine. And it's just very like, man, y'all finished eighth. Like calm it down with some of this like, like I don't know, like bellicose rhetoric. We don't need you coming out here. You could have just as easily been like, yeah, now we're really excited. We've got everybody behind us. It means so much that everybody stuck with us. It just, it felt tone deaf to me. Well, and I feel like some of these 
teams and the way they've responded to these situations has felt a little tone deaf. Taylor, what you're forgetting is they did this without Ronaldo. So, I, I mean, I do think there's there something that. to be said for, for this that. speech from Peter Vermees. Thank you for that reminder, Joe. I appreciate it. Uh, Joe, so it sounds like SKC impressed you a little bit on decision day or maybe yeah. a little bit leading into decision day. Uh, you can talk about them or other teams that you felt like maybe found a new level or just did something that puts them in a better position uh, come playoff time. Yeah, SKC is a fascinating one, I think, because it's, it's a really good example of, well, maybe managers matter less than we think they do, right? Because they start the season, as I said, they're injured, they're old, things aren't going well. All of a sudden, when their players are back and playing like the players that we know they are, they're winning games again and they're getting points, they're getting results, they're making the playoffs. They're, their points per game over the last you know stretch of the season when they've been healthy is, is right up there with some of the better teams in the league, right? So they have massively improved, not because Peter Vermees has, has done a massive tactical overhaul, but because their players are back and, and playing at the level that we know they can hit. I think SKC are a fascinating team because of their bracket path as well. So they get it on decision day. They were the better team against Minnesota United. Their first round is against St. Louis. And they should not be favored, Sporting Kansas City, in this series against St. Louis. Three games, two of them will be in St. Louis. Home field advantage is huge in Major League Soccer. Aren't, and it's huge you in the playoffs. assuming that they get past San Jose? Yes, I am, which is something that I'm just now realizing could make me really, really stupid, seem really, really stupid, if they do not. Let's just say, for example, that they do get past San Jose. Mm -hmm. Uh, and let's say they're in that first round matchup against St. Louis, but you can apply this to San Jose too, right? The bottom of the Western Conference gets the advantage of playing against a weak seed to top the Western Conference. And St. Louis, mm -hmm. fantastic season, exceeded expectations. We've talked about that. I have a ton of love for what they've done. They are a weak number one seed in Major League Soccer. No team has finished first with less than 60 points in Major League Soccer in one conference since 2017. St. Louis did it this year with 56 points. That year in 2017, it was Portland winning the West with 53 points. Historically, in recent MLS history, in the modern era, St. Louis are a weak number one seed in Major League Soccer. That opens up the opportunity, not just for whoever wins that wild card game, and again, I, I would back SKC, but really for the entire Western Conference to go out there and wreak some havoc. I would just context, St. Louis are the would be the fourth best team in the East this year, one point ahead of fifth and sixth. Right. So St. Louis finishes one point ahead of the New England Revolution, who are going on the road in the first round of the playoffs. That's how disoriented the West is. Yeah, there's huge opportunity, I think, for, for not just SKC or San Jose, but, but genuinely almost any team in the Western Conference. The East is going to be much more of a dogfight, I think. And it's also, I would expect, going to be a bit more chalky in the okay, Eastern Matt Conference. Turner. <laughs> it's a dogfight out there. But the Western Conference, I think, is, is going to be filled with some upsets and is going to have some of those things that maybe you don't expect, but then you sort of take a step back and think, okay, yeah, that actually does make sense. All right, let's take one more break, then we'll come back. We'll talk about the actual playoff matchups themselves, do some specific predicting, and have some fun along the way. Back soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com 
slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. Gentlemen, let's take a look at our playoff bracket, starting with those wildcard matches that Joe doesn't want to talk about. Joe really endearing himself to both San Jose supporters and St. Louis uh, supporters on this episode. Uh, Joe, do you have any feelings one way or the other about the matchups between the Red Bulls and Charlotte, as well as SKC versus San Jose? I'm guessing I know who you think will come out of the Sporting Kansas City San Jose Earthquakes tie. Yeah, I think I've made that one pretty clear. Gus, let me flip it to you real quick. Uh, What's your pick for the West? I picked SKC as well. I think San Jose is a bigger underdog than Charlotte. Um, I will say this is the argument for San Jose, which is they're one of the better defensive teams in the postseason. They've actually moved that way as the season's gone along. In single elimination games, the least amount of winnable actions favors the the underdog. Like San Jose will sort of kill the game and try and keep it organized. And if SKC is not able to, I think, up the tempo, it it goes into San Jose's favor. And San Jose is the best goalkeeper, maybe in the league, potentially in the matchup. That's not a knock on Tim That's how good Daniel's been. So if they can keep the game in front of him, I think they've got a shot in penalty kicks and SKC's weaknesses transition moments. Christian Espinoza, maybe Cade Cowell. I want to stop saying it because it's a a dumb thing to say. He hasn't done it a single time all year, but those are players that could hurt you there. So it matches, it it lines up fairly well for San Jose. I just think SKC's overwhelming talent. Guys, can you say that sentence again that finished with the least amount of winnable actions favors the underdog? Yeah, someone forced this on me one time and now I'm starting to believe it, which is just like if you're the underdog, you want the least amount of things to happen in the game, mm-hmm. right? Every 50-50, every open shot, every duel, every space to dribble, the more talent will win in those moments. Mm-hmm. So the less amount of moments like that you can have, hence the lock things up and go for a free kick. Like very rarely do you see an underdog try and open up the game and say, yeah, let's go chaos and let's try and score five goals. And that's, I think, because you have the inability to create those moments consistently where a more talented team can do it. Would that apply to Charlotte and the Red Bulls as well? I don't know, because that's where it's confusing. The Red Bulls are the worst attack in the playoffs. They've scored the least goals. They have created a decent amount, um, but a lot of that is offset pieces. It's not really in the run of play. So if the Red Bulls are going to win, I mean, look at what we just saw. They got a penalty kick in a non-dangerous moment in the 92nd minute in a must-win game to win 1-0 at Nashville. That's not a team that wants to open up the game and have a million goal-scoring chances both ways. The thing that frustrates me about Red Bulls is they play two forwards up top in Barlow and Manuel, and they never interact. And it almost kills the purpose of playing two forwards. So... I don't know that that really fits what the Red Bulls do. What an exciting playoff team. I'm so excited they're here. Sorry, continue. (laughs) I think they're banking on the fact that Charlotte is is poor defensively. And if you put enough pressure on, especially the center backs, will make a mistake. So are you leaning New York there? I picked Charlotte on ETRU today. I heard you. I was about to call you out if you didn't say it again. And I don't know why, because I think I'm going to go to the Red Bull game. So I don't know why I'd want to be in the building having just picked Charlotte. Um, I just think the momentum going into the postseason, I actually think Charlotte's played some good soccer. They just haven't been able to sort of have all the pieces together. As Andrew Privet's come into the team, they've become cleaner defensively. And if Swiderski's healthy, that's the key, because he did come off. And I don't think you take him off in that game if he's fully healthy and he's coming back from Poland. So maybe it was just that of managing his minutes as best you could. But if Swiderski healthy, he's the best player on the field. And I often lean on that when you have single elimination soccer. 
Joe, agree, disagree? How are you feeling about that one? Yeah, the Red Bulls are going to win this game. That's my prediction. I think I think Charlotte are a fun team to watch. I really do. I enjoy watching this team way more than I enjoy watching the Red Bulls. And I think Cincy will be playing hard for Charlotte because what Gus said about, you know, less talented teams wanting to restrict the game is absolutely true. Charlotte played a talent deficit to most teams in the league, and they do not want to restrict the game. They want to play open. They like to go man-oriented in their press. They like to press high up the field. They want to spread the field in possession. They have some fun rotations that you would see from a team like Manchester City or Arsenal over in the Premier League. They do some of those modern things that elite teams do. They just don't have elite talent, and they don't operate at an elite level. So I think the Red Bulls are going to rip them apart in transition and with their press. Could I be wrong? Absolutely. I don't think the Red Bulls are a great team either. Uh, but I think they've got the edge here, and I think Cincy is going to have a harder time with the Red Bulls than Charlotte, even I, even though I think Cincy are going to make it out of round one as well. All right, let me ask you both this. Uh, we'll start with Gas. What's the matchup that you think is going to be the most evenly contested in a good way? Not like particularly dull, but it will be fun games, but that maybe they do go to the third game. Maybe we do get three penalty shootouts along the way. Oh, you went in 18 different directions, but I'm going to lean on the not dull thing. And I'm going to go LAFC Vancouver. I think we saw an entertaining game LAFC uh, on decision day, which is they played each other. Um, LAFC are not as possession heavy as they have been in the past, but they will play track meets. And that's what Vancouver does. I think you're going to see an up and down game. I think you're going to see a ton of goal scoring opportunities. I think there's elite talent on the field as well, which is worth tuning into and fun to watch. I think there's one series like this in in both conferences, but that would be the one that I would lean on in the West. And I think everything we've seen from when they've matched up, Vancouver beat them 3-2 in L.A. earlier in the season, but in the summer when it was still kind of the same two rosters. And then I thought it was an entertaining 1-1 game in which, uh, what, Vancouver missed two penalties uh, on decision day? Yeah, I think Ryan Gold missed two penalties. I'll correct myself. Yes, he did. (laughs) I couldn't tell if that was you waiting for us to jump in or you looking it up yourself. No, 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 I was... I couldn't remember one or two, so I was hoping someone would save me. But I I dunked on Joe for like the first 15 minutes of the show, so it's fair <laughs> that he wasn't going to give me an assist. For the sake of brevity, that's what I'm going for here. Goss, would you say that's the matchup that you are most looking forward to? The matchup you think will be most entertaining? How would you describe that one? Yeah, I would, I would use all the things you just said. Um, entertaining, maybe Columbus Atlanta is the one, but... Tiago Amada suspended. I think that's going to look the least like playoff soccer, which could be fun. But I think LAFC Vancouver is going to be the right level of competitive, going to go to three games, two teams that could go to MLS Cup. So there's a ton of stakes, plus the quality and the excitement. Okay, so, Joe, then for you, what is the one that you are uh, most excited about? And then what is the one that you think will be the most entertaining? It might be the same matchup. I'll be honest with you, Taylor. Goss's is matchup in the West is on my list, and it'll factor into a VSP later that I've got. But I'll go to the other side. So that's the 3-6 matchup in the West, LAFC, Vancouver. I'll go to the third seed versus the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. Columbus taking on Atlanta. Columbus as the higher seed there. Thiago Almada is suspended for the first game after a, a really stupid, it was a second yellow, I guess, against yeah, uh, Cincinnati. Ridiculous. He kicks out almost David Beckham-esque in some ways. It's not exactly the same, but he kicks at Yerson Mosquera. It was an idiotic move. He wasn't going to hurt the guy, but you can't you can't kick people. So Almada's out for the first game, which I think sways this tie so much in Columbus's favor. I'd actually be more interested, and I think it would be more of a help for Columbus if he was suspended for the second game. Like if they could pick which game they wanted Amada to be suspended for of the three games, you'd obviously pick one of the first two. I think you go for the Atlanta home game. Either way, 
I think this is going to be a fun series because both teams play fun soccer. Columbus, stylistically under Nancy, they have the buildup, they have the possession style, they lean into that more than any team in MLS, and they're really, really good at it. They've had the best attack in MLS based off of non-penalty expected goals, and the second best attack in MLS based off of total goals scored. Second two, drum roll, nobody wants to do drum roll, it's fine, Atlanta United, who have scored one more goal on this season than the Columbus crew. So you have a high, high flying attacks on both sides of this game. You have some of the intrigue of how are Atlanta going to come back without their star? You know, can they rebound in the second game if they need to at home? Like lots of fun narratives here. And I just think Columbus are the most fun team to watch in this league. Joe, what do you think is the biggest mismatch of, of round one? Not the wild card, but round one, the best of three series. It might be Seattle as the two seed in the West taking on FC Dallas as the seven seed. I know we've kind of been bagging on the West and, and talking about how the elite teams there aren't especially dangerous compared to some of the teams in the East. Seattle have the history. They have the talent, even though Father Time is coming for Ladero and Rui Diaz. And we're, we're not likely to see either of those two in blue and green ever after this playoffs are over. But I don't think Dallas are very good either. And that's kind of the challenge. I think Seattle are a capable team. It would not surprise me if we saw them in MLS Cup. And Dallas have some of the pieces, but it just hasn't come together. Alan Velasco wins the 22 under 22 award that MLS does, which was absurd, by the way, because we're in year two and he does not score goals and he does not create chances. And he is an attacking midfielder like that boggles my mind that he was voted as the winner of that award. He's not there yet. And he is their key playmaker. But really, he's not because Jesus Ferreira has to do the playmaking and the goal scoring. And he's not good enough to do both of those things at an elite level or at least at the level that FC Dallas need for them to make a big playoff run. So I've got. Seattle taking on Dallas and probably winning that in two games. When you say FC Dallas just like isn't that good, is is that a big part of it? Is that Jesus Ferrer is being asked to do so many things and they don't have other pieces around him? I, I think it's a, a big part of it. Absolutely. You think about how this roster is constructed in an ideal sense. You have Ferreira as the number nine. You give him the keys when Franco Hara leaves and you say, hey, you're our guy, right? You are the guy for this attack. Ferreira Central, you have Paul Areola, who you spent a lot of money to acquire. You have other young talent out wide. Bernard Camungo has hit for them coming from MLS Next Pro. Good story, talked about it before. You know, a talented young player. You have Obreon. Like, you have players out wide that you can envision producing in these spots. And then you go out and you spend $7 million to sign Alan Velasco from Argentina. A young player, been in Argentine national team camps, has a lot of hype around him, has European interest, but is not someone that is produced. And when you have a player that you spend that much money on, that you give one of your three most important roster spots to, and is not producing, like, yeah, it's going to put burden on other players, and Ferreira, as that central attacking cog, ends up with most of that attacking load for FC Dallas. Joe, I just wanted to ask, you mentioned Nico Ladero, Raul Ruiz Diaz. If they're healthy, do you think they start? Would you start them? Um, so it was, it's been Morris starting the last two games up top for them. I probably would let it ride for at least the first game of this series and just go with what you have. And maybe you change it up for game two. You'll be away from home. The expectations are a little bit different in that game. Maybe you get one of those guys. Maybe you get both of them back in the starting lineup and you go from there. I don't get the impression that either one of those players are causing major problems in the locker room if they're not starting. They seem like savvy enough veterans that realistically know what they are. They know that they're not what they used to be. And they know they're probably not 100% right now. So I probably roll with what you have going from decision day into this first game. And maybe you play a little bit by year from there. 
Franco Hara remains one of my favorite players in the league, specifically because of the name. I've talked about it before. Because Franco Hara, or it could be Frank O'Hara. You never really know which one it's going to be. Uh, and it's always difficult for me to remember. Like Hara O'Brien, too. <laughs> See, there it's we go. perfect See? team. You get it. You get it. Uh, Gus, what about you? Uh, any big potential mismatches, you think, in the first round? I think Houston are the biggest favorite in the first round. I think Houston was the most impressive team on decision day to go to a team in Portland who are coming in a really good run and we're in a must-win scenario to just basically play them off the field to show the elements that they have, which is, okay, you lock in on their midfield. Griffin Dorsey can step forward to create chances, set pieces as well. They win the Open Cup, so that's a big moment where they've elevated their game and on the road against an RSL team that I just, they don't know who they are at this point of the season. We don't know if Chicho Arango is going to be healthy to play, so they're you look at an RSL team that's not elite defensively, they don't dominate the ball, and their best goal scorer might be out. That feels like the safest series to me. Yeah, and to, to re- quickly recap some of RSL's problem, problems, Pablo Ruiz, who's their starting defensive midfielder, good on the ball, gives them some of that cohesion to play the, the attacking game that Pablo Mastroeni wants them to play. They play more long balls than any team in Major League Soccer. That's That's reflected in the data this year. Like RSO want to spray passes out of that area. They want to switch the field. Ruiz helps them do that at a high level. He's got a, what is it, a knee injury, Goss, that that's kept him out for so long. It's yeah. a, he, he's missing the rest of the season. And then Chicho Arango, a player they bring in midseason, former LAFC striker, went down to Pachuca after LAFC let him go. Really, really high level striker in Major League Soccer is dealing with a hamstring problem right now. And his availability is, is not super clear. He doesn't play on decision day. So RSL are in the hole. They don't have a ton of talent to begin with. And you take away maybe their two most important players, that puts them in a bad spot. Um, what I will say about Houston, I don't think they're one of the best teams in this playoff field. I probably would have them below certainly the Seattle and, and LAFC in the West and then a bunch of teams in the East. But their path, again, I think is favorable. You have an, a weak RSL team right now, and then you have St. Louis as the one seed, thinking about how the bracket would work. Houston the four, RSL the five. If anybody's done a March Madness bracket, they're they're jiving right now. Then you've got St. Louis and then the wild card meeting them, meeting the winner of, of Houston RSL in the next round. Again, we talked about it. St. Louis are a week one seed. They're still a team that's capable of making a run. Don't get me wrong, but you would much rather, I think, have St. Louis than, again, a bunch of teams in the East and for me, probably a couple of teams in the West too. Uh, for whichever one of you wants to take this one, uh, we probably have some listeners who are tuning back in or going to be tuning back in uh, to the playoffs Goss, how has Houston done this? Like, if you haven't paid attention and you're coming back in and suddenly a Ben Olsen-coached Houston team is finishing fourth, how have they had this season they've had, including the Open Cup win? Well, they finally got the best out of Ace Ace, which is um, their big moment, which was happened last season, which was they signed Hector Herrera, former Atletico Madrid, FC Porto center mid, and obviously Mexican international, one of the best Mexican players of all time. And he was completely out last year like he didn't care it didn't matter to him he has admitted that he didn't understand sort of what the the expectations would be on him the way the league played he kind of only cared about being fit for the world cup and he has turned that around he has been committed they've built the team around him they are the one of the highest possession teams in the league and so what they've done is they've turned um, their possession into controlling games to protect their defense which is not elite the individuals on their back line are not elite. So to be able to control the games, lose the ball in areas that make them comfortable, win the ball in areas where they're able to be aggressive in the front half of the field, they 
They have finally stepped, I think, into using the heat in Houston as an advantage, which has oddly never been something they've been a part of, which is make the other team run when it's really hot. In Houston, they've brought in Steve Clark as well, who's a well above average starting goalkeeper, which has kept soft goals out on the other side. So then uh, around Achiache, they've brought in Arter, who played for Greg Berhalter in Columbus when they were an MLS Cup contending team. And he has rebounded from injuries over the last two years. That wasn't a guarantee, but he's reached sort of his highest levels again. And Coco Carasquilla, who I believe won the Golden Ball as best player at the Gold Cup for Panama and is one of the best young players or best players in CONCACAF and one of the best center mids in MLS. And he has been, but now he's got the pieces around him to play with. So they have a clear, distinct style, one that's different than what people will have known Ben Olsen for. But I don't know who said it, but Ben Olsen's always being pragmatic And the pragmatic way to play with these three center mids is to dominate the ball. It's not maybe his preferred style, but he's leaned into it really well. And as the season's gone along, it's opened up more and more of the game. So Griffin Dorsey, their right back, scored two goals in the last game because he's reading the space that's available because teams crash numbers centrally. Corey Baird has been able to score some goals because he's been able to read the play of the midfielders behind him. Um, Ace Ace is really good at making late runs into the box to help create chances or score himself. And they've sort of ridden the hot streak a little bit on some young attacking players who maybe none of them as an individual are good enough to carry them. But in leaning on them in moments, they've been able to find the right pieces. And now they're in the part of the season where very few teams have experience. They have experienced players and they've brought in they brought in experienced players and they've won a U.S. Open Cup this year. They, they went to Miami and won the U.S. Open Cup. They won a big semifinal. So in a time where you look at teams and you say, how do I know how you're going to perform? I think we have a rare window into Houston being in these high leverage moments already and performing this year. That makes sense. Thank you for that very detailed explanation. One quick follow-up question for you going all the way back to the beginning of that. You said Hector Herrera, amongst other things, like wasn't aware of the expectations that would be on him. What did that mean? Did he not expect to be a, a critical player for this team? No, I think... As as long as we do this, and as many times as we say it, I think there are a lot of players who come in this league and do not understand the league. They don't understand the travel. They don't understand the weather. They don't understand the amount of games and where they're played. I think that's what happened. So he came out of a season, and and it's tough. When you come here in the summer, if you come from Europe, you've played a full year. So you come out of a full season, you don't have a layoff as much as you would. You then don't have a preseason. Then you're dropped into a season where oh, hey, by the way, you've been playing in Madrid. No, your home games are in Houston. So 97 and 80% humidity is a good day. Like, good luck. And half the teams in this conference play at altitude. The other half play a continent away. It's a lot of travel. It's different. And I think all of that, along with the team wasn't ready for him. So yeah, there was a lot of expectations on his shoulders. And he hasn't really been that player in his career. As good as he was at Porto and a little bit of time with Pachuca coming up, like he's not a guy who's carried teams on his shoulder because he's not really a number 10 or number nine where that's sort of just the way the game is built around you. So I think all of that added into it. And and he's, to his credit, like fessed up to all of it and, and owned a lot of it and has sort of been the thing they wanted, which was he has spoken to the Mexican market mexican-american market in houston and been like come support us come be a part of this i think this first playoff game is going to be really telling to see how much people have bought into him uh joe we haven't talked about orlando nashville orlando in the best form uh nashville 
I feel like a consistent playoff team, but I never know quite what to make of them. What do you make of that matchup? Yeah, I think it's going to be one that's completely up in the air, to be honest with you, Taylor. I think Orlando is certainly coming in on better form. Nashville have cratered over the last, I don't know, 16 games of the regular season. They have a nice run in League's Cup. They make it to the final. That team looked capable of, of competing with the best of the best in MLS, and they did that. They have been slumping hard, even you know in MLS play, after that point as well. So there are a lot of problems for this Nashville side. They're not scoring goals, a whole bunch of goose eggs recently, but they're attacking talent still, and Hani Mukhtar is elite, even though I don't think he's been really spot on with his decision-making in the final third, and it doesn't feel like he and Sam Surridge have really figured out how to play together just yet. But defensively, they're still a top two, top three defense in Major League Soccer, along with Seattle, along with the Red Bulls, if they're able to get in and, and really cause some problems here at the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff bracket. So Nashville have all of those sort of same qualities and attacking upside, even though that upside has very much not been hitting. And then Orlando, they're a good team. Like they have talent in every line of the field. Pedro Gaese can be a very good goalkeeper in this league. You can look to the back line, Robin Janssen, I think got my defensive player of the year vote and a bunch of other people's as well. Extremely good on the ball and capable defending in the block. Then you look forward, Cesar Araujo, I think has been one of the best defensive midfielders in the league this year. Young Uruguayan in that part of the field. And then you look to the attacking midfield line. Facundo Torres hasn't hit quite like I, I think a lot of folks thought he would in Major League Soccer, but it's still one of the better half space, half space guys in this league. But the most interesting part of Orlando City right now, and the thing, and I wrote this for Backfield in, in a, a really big, like why each team will or won't win the playoffs based off of you know the, the best part and sort of the, the worst or scariest part of each team. Orlando's X Factor is Duncan McGuire, right? 22-year-old rookie striker. Talked him a, a bit about him on yesterday's show. He scored goals at a higher rate than his expected goals than any player in MLS. He's on the hottest finishing streak in the entire league. I believe since the start of October, he scored the third most goals in MLS. I think he's got four in the last few weeks. He's scoring goals at a ridiculous rate right now. If he continues to do that, it is going to be very hard to stop Orlando City because he is the cherry on top of a functional and a good team, but he makes them a high upside title contending team finishing at this rate. If he cools down, and man, Nashville like to make opposing strikers cool down. If he cools down, Orlando City are in trouble and could get bounced in round one. So the way I'm looking at this matchup and the thing I'm watching for, it's not my VSP, but I'd encourage listeners, watch Duncan McGuire, watch his movement, see where the passes are coming to him from, see if they're coming to him at all, and then figure out, okay, how are Nashville defending him? Where's the space? That matchup between McGuire and, and sort of the Nashville backline, especially the center backs, I think is going to be the single most influential matchup in this series. All right. I think we've talked about a good number of our of our playoff games, or at least our round one in the wild card games. Uh, any other games, any other things you all wanted to spotlight before we get to some very specific predictions? I'll just spotlight, I think maybe the only one we didn't really talk about outside mm -hmm. of, I mean, Cincinnati, we know Cincinnati are good. They are MLS Cup favorites right now. They'll have home field advantage all the way through if they do win. Um, outside of Cincinnati, we didn't talk much about Philly and New England, unless I'm, I'm mistaken about, about that. All. So thank you for that. Yep. Just, just quickly, some storylines coming into this game. New England have an MVP level player in Carles Heel, even though he's not really in that conversation this year and has not found his same form from 2021 when he was just absurd in the chance creation department. But still, one of the best left feet in MLS, ridiculous talent, can win you games. The challenge for the Revs is that the other player that could win them games, their best player, Georgi Petrovic, goalkeeper, the best goalkeeper in MLS, he's gone. Now, he's off in Old England, not New England. He signed for Chelsea earlier in the season. His last game for the Revs was on July 15th. The Revolution have really struggled since July 15th. They won three games in MLS since Petrovic's last appearance for the club. 
They're struggling right now. The good news to the Revs is so are Philly. They're not a very good team right now. They're not in great form. We get this matchup on decision day. The Revs prevail. Like this, this one really could go either way. The Union, I think, still have the edge, not least because they have Andre Blake. Blake misses a chunk of this season that hurts the Union. That's, I think, a big part of why they're not quite as good on the numbers side this year as they were last year. But he's back now. He's still capable of winning you games. And you hope that Alejandro Bedoya and his movement can continue to unbalance teams. You hope that Gazdag, who has not been nearly as good this year as he was last year, at least not as productive, can still find gaps in the revs, uh, you know, in, in the midfield area in front of their back line. There are opportunities for both of these teams to win this series. I honestly think the biggest reason why it wasn't top of mind for us to talk about it is because neither one of these teams are playing very good soccer right now. And it doesn't feel like either team has a big shot to make a run after that first round. Goss, agree or disagree with that? Um, I, I agree. I, I do think Philly, my assumption and my feeling, I think, especially in two weeks will be, I think Philly has slow played the end of the season. I think they've tried to get healthy because they know who they are and they kind of were guaranteed a home game and that's the most they were going to get anyway. Um, but I agree with what Joe said. Now, on the decision day game, Andre Blake lost them the game. Like, Andre Blake let in a chance from Gustavo Bo that an average MLS goalkeeper doesn't let in. Otherwise, that game's 1-1. Maybe they win 1-0. I was a little underwhelmed by New England's attack, and I think New England's going to have to score goals because they're incapable of keeping this Philadelphia team off the board. They struggle in transition moments. Now they've brought in more support around Polster, and we saw it on decision day in the way Noel Buck played alongside him. They have Mark Anthony Kay, if that's the way they choose to lean, but... Um, I think they're going to have to score goals and Carlos Hill is maybe the best chance creator in the league. Um, I think Sean Calais has been really good. Me and Joe were texting about him last week at a random moment, which I appreciated because he's been awesome. And he is like a fourth DP, but Veroni hasn't played as a third DP for them, which has been a big problem. I think this is an interesting matchup because you watch that decision day game and these teams are close, but that was a Philly team without Jose Martinez. They didn't start Ura. Like they have more bullets in the chamber. They didn't start in Baizo. Then Revs put everything out there and they were able to get the win. And I think that's kind of the highest level they can hit right now. All right. I'm, I am very excited about the playoffs. I was like mostly excited, but I felt slightly overwhelmed with the number of teams, the number of games, the fact that it's a best of three series, but you all have got me pretty hyped. Final thing we need to do today would be some very specific predicting. Uh, could be for the play-in games, could be for the first round. Uh, I'll get us started. Uh, I'm just going basic here. I think the Red Bulls win by two or more goals. I think, as I understand it, the knock on Charlotte has been they've struggled to see out games, they struggled to hold on to leads, and I think short of that one save very late, things could have been very different for Charlotte. So I feel like they could still have an issue closing out games. I think especially if they're trailing, maybe they just lose a little bit of the focus, lose a little bit of the sharpness, and I think the Red Bulls win by at least two goals. I look forward to Ryan Bailey gloating when that does not happen. Uh, Joe Lowry, what have you got for a specific prediction? I like I like that prediction, Taylor. I think it's a, a solid one. My first round VSP, so I went to the actual whole first round. I have that Columbus Atlanta will have more goals per game, that series, than any first round series in the East. And LAFC Vancouver will have more goals per game than any first round series in the West. So I think those two series... Goss called out the, the Western one earlier. I called out the Eastern one earlier. I think those are, are probably the most fun series in this entire first round based off of where the matchups stand right now. 
I think those are going to have more goals per game. Not necessarily that they're all going to go to three games, but more goals per game than any series in their respective conferences. I like that. I think that one makes a ton of sense. Hopefully it's three games so that we get the most goals. I've kind of alluded to mine a couple times, but um, I'm going to go that Nashville, Orlando ends in three shootouts Mm. over the course of this series. Joe talked a little bit about Nashville, the way they play, what they've done, the struggles they've had offensively. Um, One of the things about Oscar Pereja is that he has always sort of adapted to the moment his teams. And if you look at Orlando in the postseason, in his time outside of maybe one game against NYCFC, in Champions League against Tigres at the start of this year and in Leagues Cup, they don't open up to win must-win games. They close things down and try not to lose. And Nashville are very similar and actually struggling in the attack. I think Nashville wins the series. I think all three games go to shootout. There we are. All right. We've got three specific predictions for uh, the MLS playoffs. Gentlemen, I look forward to talking with you all more about the playoffs as they get underway, as we get some surprises, as we get a bunch of shootouts. But no extra time, Joe. You, you sold me right there. You didn't have to tell me anything else about the playoffs aside from getting rid of extra time. And I was all in. So, Joe Lowry, thank you for that and all of your many contributions today. Uh, you're welcome. And I don't want to be blamed when extra time does pop up after the first round. But I mean, we'll enjoy it while it happens in the first round. It's going to be great. You'll be blamed. Uh, David Goss, thank you for starting off on a contentious note and bringing the competitive spirit out of Joe Lowry today. You, I just know MLS playoffs. You wanted an MLS expert to come on, so I figured I'd, I'd kind of lend that expertise to the show. Doyle was busy, but you know it worked out. Um, wow, Joe! Wow, you're going to carry someone else's water here. I mean, it's I better mean, than having no water. I feel like that's kind of where I'm at right now. Team Bogart for life, baby. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you again very soon. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.